0: Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 117, and it is with the lovely Shay Littlejohn. Shay and I are friends in Nashville. Shay is an author and a lawyer and a musician. Uh, Actually, Shay is the granddaughter of Pat Hodge, who I interviewed for episode 108. And that was an incredible conversation as well. But uh, Shay and I sat down at the house. We talked about uh, her experience as both a prosecutor and a defense attorney. It was fascinating. Uh, we talked about civil rights and uh, just navigating the waters of humanity. Um, and we talked about just regular stuff too. Uh, she's she's one of my most favorite people. I really enjoy Shay. And... Uh, it never disappoints. Our conversations are always lively and uh, in-depth, so I'm very excited to share this episode with you guys. Um, toward the end of this episode, there's a moment where uh, I had turned off the mic. I, I We had said goodbye, and then I turned off the mic, and Shay and I started talking again about um, some other things about being a prosecutor and a defense attorney and like all that stuff, and some corruption stuff and it was really fascinating so I turned the mic back on and got all that information and uh just took our goodbyes and stuck them at the end so there's a little moment where uh, you know it's a little confusing because we're talking about one thing then suddenly we start talking about this other thing so I just wanted you to know that that's why it's because when we were just jabbering afterward it was like oh my god that's so good so that's what that's all about As usual, of course, any links from the episode will be at HeyHumanPodcast.com, so definitely check out the links page. It's getting mighty, mighty big. Uh, You can email me, Susan, at HeyHumanPodcast.com, and also check me out on social media. That's HeyHumanPodcast on all the social media places, and Susan Ruthism for the regular social media places. You know what to do. I mean, really... Uh, A couple Google moments, and you're gonna have everything you need to know about me and more. (laughs) Um, What else? Oh, Amazon Portal. This is a uh, listener supported podcast. As most of you probably shop on Amazon, if you do so by going through the Amazon Portal on the HeyHumanPodcast.com website, it's there on the front page. Um, When you do that and you shop like you normally would through the Amazon Portal, it helps uh, send back a little bit of support to Hey Human, so that's a really cool thing. There's also a support button uh, on the store page part of the website. So if you click on that, not only can you find the Hey Human poster, see what I did there, the, you can also find the support button. So go crazy, dig around in the Hey Human podcast website, do what you will, and. Uh, all is well there. So um, yeah, I'm in Seattle right now. I am uh, in my niece's bedroom recording this preamble. It's a beautiful Seattle sunny day. And uh, gosh, I love this town when it's sunny out. (laughs) It is incredible. Um, Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, enjoy this and keep spreading the word. All right, here we go. Shay little John. Thank Hi. you for being on Hey Human.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure. We've been talking about having you on for quite a while, so I'm glad that uh, it finally worked out. Me too. You and I met at a random event for some sort of a music. <laughs> it was like was that a reality show? What was that? I don't even know what that thing it's was. It's a
1: secret might be happening show, so I see. That's probably all we should say. That's
0: all we should say. Well, all I know (laughs) is my friend Cora brought me to that, and she performed at it, and you were there, and we hit it off and have been friends since, so
1: uh,
0: it's nice to have you here. You're you're one of my favorite girlfriends to hang out and talk with because we talk about such interesting topics, Mm. and uh, I feel like these days, a lot of times people are afraid to talk about everything because they don't want to freak out whoever they're talking or de- devolves into fighting or whatnot. So you yeah. and I, although let's be honest, you and I agree on a lot of things. So I guess <laughs> so it's it, easy. It's not going to devolve too much. But um, uh, you did say something to me the last time we were together that surprised me. You said that it's not often that uh, a black woman and a white woman are friends. And I thought yeah. that was so interesting. Why, why did you, what did that, why? <laughs> Is it just you mean because you're, first of all, as I ramble on. (laughs) Where are you from originally? And I know that you were in D.C. for a very long time, but where did you start?
1: I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. Okay. Yeah, and then at 18 I left to go to college at Howard University in Washington, D.C. And then I just stayed there until I moved to Nashville.
0: Did you go to study your, to study law or did you discover law along the way?
1: No, I was kind of brainwashed from an early age by my father that I needed to go to law school. He say you need to know your rights, so you should.
0: Because of the color of your skin, or because of being a woman, or because of both. I think
1: I think because of that, and every just Just everything, everything, yeah. And my dad um, is from South Carolina. He grew up in the segregated South. He put himself through um, college and law school, and then he ended up running for office and becoming a judge in the in Ohio. Um, And so he was always about. You need to know what your rights are. You need to know how to not be taken advantage of. And so he basically started calling me a lawyer from like when I was like seven or eight years old. I would work in his law office and file papers and, you know, get paid. And I think it was like Rory Rogers hamburgers back then. That's amazing. That was my pay for... (laughs) Let's get paid. Um,
0: That's like $4 an hour back then, right? That's
1: good. Yeah. And so um, I've always been close to my dad. And so I just never considered not going to me. He had told me so many times that I should go to law school. He'd say, yeah, you could do anything you want. After you go to law school, do whatever you want. <laughs> Such a dad move. Yeah. And so I, to me, going to high school, it was like going to high school. I never considered not going. mm so.
0: Did you like being a lawyer? Did you like law school? It's really hard, right? Um,
1: a lot of remembering. things? Yeah, a lot of a lot of analysis of of case law and highlighting, underlining, memorizing that kind of thing. I I don't know that I would say I liked it. Um, it was just I didn't really like school at all mm. through any of the years I was in school. <laughs> so it was you. more of this I unnecessary task that I had to perform, and so I would do as well as I needed to mm-hmm. because I knew I. Somebody was going to judge me later for my performance. Judges would be judging you.
0: Right. <laughs> Technically, that's as on point as you can get. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I really loved college, but I, you know, I was studied hippie things so.
1: uh-huh.
0: <laughs> and philosoph- philosophical things, so it's a lot different.
1: Yeah, and in my house, I never even knew that that was an option. My yeah. mother was a social worker, and then my dad persuaded her to go to law school, so she went to law school when I was maybe four or five years old or really? something. Um, and she didn't end up practicing law for long. She ended up working in corporate America and having a really nice career. Uh, but it was, you know, that was my household. Every And in, in Dayton, Ohio at the time, General Motors was big. So everybody was either a General Motors worker, mm-hmm. teacher, doctor, lawyer, dentist. And those were the careers that you sort of considered. I'm mm-hmm. sure. and, well, I should say the people that I was around. Uh, there were artists in town. I just never met them. Did
0: you grow up in an integrated community? Yeah. Oh, that's did. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you had that nice, uh, experience for
1: yeah, that. Yeah. Very middle class. And, and because so many people worked for the automotive automotive manufacturers, I think it just had, a you know, the community had a, a certain, uh, stability about yeah. it until after I moved away, you know, then things changed.
0: My neighborhood was super white and old, mm. a lot of old people in my neighborhood, mm. <clears throat> especially to a little kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure, not a lot of not a lot of kids really. Mm-hmm.
1: We had kids, and we would you know all meet on the corner with our bikes, and d- kids of different. Uh, it was it was pretty much black or white. There were very few other um, mm. groups yeah. in town, um, but we had um, Jewish neighbors, and every holiday they would bring over a box of silver wrapped, No, no, they brought us the the gold box with the red bow. And my mother would send us over with the silver box with the blue box. Nice. It's <laughs> Just trading that Russell Stover candy. Gotta
0: love it. <laughs> yep. Okay, so now I want to get back to that point. So mm-hmm. why did... What made you say that? I was curious after the fact.
1: Well, I think um, just my observation, you know, you go to restaurants and you don't see too many tables of women being um, integrated tables of women. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate. Um, and, and in school, I mean, I went to a historically black college, so... Uh, there were, there are white women that and Jewish women that attend Howard University, but at, but not as many, obviously, mm-hmm. as black women. And so I just noticed, just observation, that people don't tend to associate too closely with people that don't, don't look that like don't them. look like them. Yeah. yeah,
0: I talk about this a lot on the podcast. That the that the unfortunate thing about television and film. Um, which is why I'm, I get excited when when movies like Black Panther come out, or you know, that yeah. <clears throat> for a little kid watching TV, it's mostly white, and mm-hmm. people of color are generally portrayed as the bad guy, mm-hmm. or the crook, or the criminal, or the something, the pimp, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm hoping that that is changing. But kids absorb that information and think about what they can and can't be. Let's be honest,
1: television raises a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. It does, yeah. And we weren't allowed to watch certain shows when we were growing up.
0: Yeah. And my either.
1: dad still, he you know, certain movies that come out in the movie theater, he's like, I'm not going to pay to go see that. And he's like, if somebody shows, depicts me in a de- subservient position, then why would I pay for a ticket to see that? Mm-hmm. So with the exception of some historical type pieces, which it's really neat that a lot of those like Thurgood and um, the one about Jackie Robinson, things like oh those God. films. I saw that um, on 42 on a yeah, plane. Yeah,
0: that's not a good movie to see on a plane. I was <laughs> sobbing on
1: the plane. Yeah. I was or, like, um, I didn't work this. Or movies <laughs> like The Butler. Um, still have that They just one. have so yeah. many... The writing and the, the intent behind the films is, is what's important, I think.
0: Did your dad see 12 Years a Slave?
1: I doubt it. Yeah, I can almost say he didn't. I still haven't watched it.
0: I haven't seen it either. Yeah. My My dad won't go see... Basically any World War Two Nazi type Mm. movie, any Holocausty type movie.
1: Yeah, you
0: know he's just not interested.
1: Mm -mm. I can understand why you wouldn't want to, for sure. I
0: mean, I do believe that pain and suffering and um, of our our four parents um, goes through our lineage. It's in our blood. Mm -hmm. I try and watch movies about the Holocaust, and I'm a destroyed wreck about by halfway through. It's very hard to do. Yeah and yet i am enough removed from the faith or even the jewishness i'm half jewish so but it's still like in my blood or something it's mm-hmm. weird i i feel like i viscerally respond in disproportionate amount to what it is i'm seeing mm-hmm. and what i've thought about it i think is that because it's more than empathy mm-hmm. it's almost like something some molecules stir up in my body yeah. in response I think about that stuff all the time, though. Like yeah. Do you have that at all, like as a as a black woman? I
1: mean. Yes, I mean I I I know the distinction you're referring to because when I see films that um like um about the Holocaust, there's an empathy mm-hmm. and there's a a shock and horror mm-hmm. that people could be this cruel in the world. Um, but it's 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 a different sort of feeling than when it's seeing someone that looks like you. I think. Um, And for me, it's more I can remove myself a little bit more From like the Remember those The gangbanger type movies Mm. That would come out In the 80s or In the 80s and 90s About all the the drugs and all that Mm, stuff Even that to me was different than the historical films Mm. Because the historical ones I find it hard to stomach Uh, So like Mississippi Burning I like (sighs) went to see that film In 10 minutes I walked out of the theater I was like, I cannot watch this Um, and I, and I think 12 Years a Slave, I probably could watch it. I just keep putting it on my watch later list because I just, when is it a good time to, to ingest? (laughs) It's a really good point. (laughs) Yeah. I like to maintain, you know, positive, optimistic outlook. And it's kind of hard to do that if you put things into your mind that, well, at least I should speak for myself. I like to not put things in my mind. I don't like, I don't watch horror films, never watch horror films. Not because I believe it'll come true, <laughs> but because I think, why should I like scare myself? Or like slasher movies. Or slasher, right? I mean, yeah, because some of the, hey, some of this stuff could happen, right? So why do I want to put that in my mind? I don't understand why people watch those things, so. The adrenaline. I think it's all about the adrenaline mm-hmm. for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's
0: interesting because, again, um, the idea of the, you know, know the history so it doesn't repeat. And and so I watch a lot of stuff, even though it's very hard for me. I still watch it, and it's generally destroys me. But I feel like it's important. And it's almost, in my perspective, honoring the dead, honoring the history. But it is a good question as to what, where do you draw the line. Do you, do you know
1: what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I attended a historically black college and university. And we had requirements to learn certain things about black history. And I have... About black um, history? or black, about, Yeah, black yeah. history in particular. Yeah. And so... I imagine if I didn't have that experience at college, uh, I probably wouldn't be as um, proud of my heritage mm. and proud, and because I see the, the story of Black Americans as a story, one of victory and overcoming so many different obstacles and still in the process of overcoming, as opposed to what some people who don't know anything about Black history would um, almost um, make us look like victims mm. and there is I mean what do you mean well I think in the treatment of certain um, films or, or TV shows it can you can uh, depict black Americans as being victimized but not also victorious mm. mm-hmm. and so the black community has survived so many injustices um, since the you know, ever for yeah forever <laughs> and um in in I'm very proud of what black americans that have come before me have done to ensure that I can be where I am today. Sure. Um and while that race is not over and maybe never will be, um I can appreciate and say those people were pretty special <laughs> awesome people.
0: Yeah.
1: As opposed to let me just tell you the story about these downtrodden this downtrodden community.
0: Right. Uh, that's a really good point. When I, um, I went to see two different lectures in town. I saw Brian Stevenson in town, and then I saw John Lewis, who's one of my personal heroes. Mm-hmm. And um, I had this feeling in my gut of like, oh my gosh, we have so far to go. Everything is a mess. What's you know? And I remember being in line. I think I've brought this up before on the podcast, but I remember being in line and seeing people of all nationalities and uh, gender you know, and loving whomever they love and whatever. And it was standing room only. It was packed, mm. which was wonderful. Um, but I remember being in line thinking, gosh, we still have so far to go. And it was during a time when there was a lot going down anyway. There was um, one of the billions of things that go on every day. Something had just happened. I can't remember what, because there's been so many. But um, I went in and I sat down And I looked around and I started crying just because it was so full up of people and I was so happy about that. But I still in my heart was thinking, Yeah, but we just haven't we've barely gone anywhere. We've barely gone anywhere, you know, it's just it's not where it should be. And then he got on stage and he said, For those of you who think we haven't made any progress, look around. I'm standing on this stage talking to you. Look at the auditorium around you. And it was like, Yes, like that talk about seeing Seeing mm-hmm. how far things have come instead of where my mindset was is like oh we still have so far to go. Yeah. And I wonder if that's a perspective of being on one side versus the other in terms of experience. You know, I still yeah. I mean I'm around people that make um, anti-Semitic slurs. I hear mm-hmm. them probably once a month or two, you know, two twice a month or whatever, and I just think well that's an ignorant person. Mm-hmm. But you don't look at me and go Jewish person. Right. Look at you. You don't say. Oh, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> right. pretty obvious. Yeah,
1: so people might not say certain things <laughs> when I'm present, but when I walk away, maybe.
0: Right. Or well, you can't. You can't. You. You always are who you are. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. And uh, I don't know. I just I think about all these things all the time. Mm-hmm. And I I find it so fascinating to try and be a human being, in a world that that, that is seemingly constantly trying to find what's different about
1: you. Instead of yeah. what's same about what, you, yeah, instead of what's same out of fear, I guess. But I mean, we have made tremendous progress, of course. And um, but I think that one of the the things that's standing in the way of further progress is is a fear of people being honest about their true feelings. You know, it's it's we well, you mentioned about uh, good or bad, you mean, or yeah, good or bad. Yeah. Um, And maybe fearing that someone's gonna be offended by what they say, and maybe some people take offense too quickly Mm. over things that are said, not understanding that we all have a different experience and we all view the same situation through a different lens, which, you know, snowballs into a lot of misunderstandings. And so, yeah, finding that commonality is um, risky business for people. But if people would try to do it, and Mm. that's where you mentioned White women, black the comment that I made about white women and black women not being friends very often. Um, I think there's a mystery there, and nobody wants to cross this line. And and once you cross the line, you realize it's not really that big of a mystery. People are very similar. You and I are a lot alike. Uh, very, yeah. <laughs> a lot alike. Yeah. And um, but I think people are are afraid to know that, or they're they don't know how to initiate a friendship with somebody yeah. who's of a different ethnic background, yeah. for example. Um, in Washington, D.C., it's very diverse. You, you go through that city and you can't help but meet people who are of different sure. races and things. Moving to Nashville was eye-opening for me <laughs> because, I, like I said, I grew up in Ohio, a very integrated place. Yeah, Washington, D.C., same here in Nashville. It's almost, I would almost say it's segregated. I, I
0: would agree with you, actually. It's, I wouldn't almost say it. I would say, I was wondering yeah. if you thought was what was going to come out of your mouth. But yeah, yeah. I, I feel that, that Nashville is segregated. Nashville itself would hate to hear any of us say that, mm-hmm. but it's, it's pretty clear. Yeah. Yeah.
1: In my time, even just in the songwriter community, the music community here, I am oftentimes the only person of color in every room I walk into. Sure. And I'm thinking, this is music. If it, shouldn't yeah. people at least hear maybe? It was a lot,
0: almost better. Before the flood, there were a lot of, um, I would say that it was a little bit more mixed, and the flood came in and wiped out a lot of housing, mm-hmm. and then when the housing got rebuilt, the they were rebuilt to in a way that it pushed out a lot of ethnic families, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. black families, or poor white families. It's a shame because homogeny is so boring, but you make a good point. Is it a shyness that people don't cross that line to to say, Hey, let's have a conversation. There's this extra layer of unknown or scared of our own
1: Yeah, know. or maybe people think they're gonna be blamed or somehow not be accepted for who they are or mm-hmm. you know, and I don't I haven't really experienced that happening. I mean, I think you I think you meet people who are like kindred spirits and you just either have things in common or you don't.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Um and so even if it's somebody of the same ethnic background, I mean, I've met black women in Nashville. We haven't hit it off. We haven't become friends. You yeah. know? You're know, you not going to be friends with every <laughs> white person, just like you're not going to be friends with every black right. person. So it's just kind of easing up on the expectations.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, too. Mm-hmm. My, my parents, and I, they wouldn't let me watch All in the Family.
1: I wasn't allowed to watch that. Either.
0: <laughs> they didn't think I'd understand the commentary, which... Mm-hmm. They're right. I wouldn't have. As an adult, I watch that. I'm like, oh, I get that. I get what they're saying, um, what Norman Lear was saying. But um, you, you break up your, your point about, you know, when somebody says something around me, they may not know that I am what I am, <laughs> whatever I am. And for you, it's different. You know, they may not be outwardly racist around you because it's clear that you're not white person. But I, I think that for many people, they don't even realize what they're saying. And I hate I hate that because I don't think ignorance is any excuse. But I think for a lot of people, they have no idea what they're saying.
1: Or they're just repeating
0: yeah. something they heard and they don't realize that it's, it's not okay. You know? Right.
1: They don't understand that the person who first wrote something or the person who first said something might be a highly functioning intellectual who created that. To, for the purpose of being passed along. Yeah. And the, it's a shame that those people don't know when they're being used to, you know... Propagate. Yeah. yeah. They don't know. And so all you can do is gently point it out. Mm. But then, of course, you point things out too many times, and then people think you're a complainer, and they think that you're just, you know...
0: Yeah, it's that's interesting, too, is just because you, you're you willing to say, hey, that's not okay, suddenly you're the bad guy. And I find that interesting as well. Or... um. I've been around white people who say things like, "Oh well, black people use the N word, so what's the big deal?" I'm like, they get to if they want to, but right. we don't get to right. use that word. And I think people don't understand. They, if Sarah Silverman, she makes fun of Jews all the time. Mm-hmm. She's also extraordinarily Jewish. She's about as a Jewish girl as a Jewish girl can get.
1: Yeah, but I don't. I don't use any. Words.
0: Well, it's not really your style word or anything. No. Yeah, it's
1: not my style. I tend to just use you're, plain you're, English. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, I and it, I kind of cringe when people. I, I'm not one for taking the power back. I, yeah, <laughs> the you word, cringe regardless if I it's kinda, Chris
0: Rock or anybody. It's yeah,
1: just, yeah. Yeah, and I've had friends. I'm like, I would okay. I refer to it as PWT because I would never say the term PWT.
0: What is that word? What is it? poor? White trash, yeah,
1: ah, okay. which I consider a terrible thing to say about somebody.
0: Somebody is poor, white trash.
1: There's no way I would but why do ever say that. white people call
0: each other that all the time. All the time, yeah. That's I would still
1: never say it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. That doesn't even have a connotation to me.
1: Well, to me, why would you say anything negative about a person just because they're they're poor? poor. It's right? a really good point. And and to call anybody trash that's just because they're poor is defies everything I stand for. Um, and so. Uh, <laughs> I remember to, uh, some friends of mine using that term, from white friends using that term, and I said, "Are you really supposed to be?" Saying? <laughs> like I was, I was totally confused. And they're like, "What are you talking?" About? I said, "PWT," and they said, "What is PWT?" <laughs> Just like, what is PWT? <laughs> Just like you kind of did. And I'm like, "Who? Why would?" I was like looking at my like, "Pretty?" No, oh that's not it. It's, it's not a PYT. T. <laughs> And so, and I'm thinking, why, why, what is it about people that they want to push other people down? Oh, compare, just because it makes us
0: feel better about compare ourselves. Compare and
1: contrast themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to be, you know, goody two-shoes. I'm sure I do. And I'm like, you know, you're when it comes kind of to, a goody you know, though, not, let's be honest. I just don't say the things I think out loud. You're a very nice
0: person. Uh, yeah, but you're a very nice person. You well, just, thanks. you are. Oh, I'm nice. a much more horrible human than you no, are. No, you are not. <laughs> I'm like, poor trash. Yeah, I know those words. But it is interesting. I would never in a million years use the N-word. I think that it's an atrocious word. And I even, I mean, even, and I love Chris Rock. I do, you know, and I love Chappelle and all these comedians that use that word. Like, they just throw it around and I still, I get cringy. But at the same time, I think I just find the word not like, a. it's just not a nice word. Yeah. You know? Right. So... But right. I'm not
1: going to criticize them for using it. It's their right. If you criticize them, then you're going to end up in their next skit.
0: <laughs> I know, right?
1: <laughs> well, then maybe we could be famous.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Words are so fascinating. Um, you know, I have my CNX You Next Tuesday mug, mm-hmm. which I love that mug. And that word doesn't bother me at all. But it certainly you know, bothers a lot of people. Um, I find the word "the word" silly and mm-hmm. kind of funny. And I suppose if I were in England, it, you know, it means something completely different there. Mm-hmm. Um, the C word is what I'm referring to. If you didn't get that C U
1: next Tuesday, <laughs> I was going <gonna laughs> to say, or even explain, spell more that about out. It.
0: <laughs> but um, I just think it's a funny word. But it's it's one of those things. Like words have power, depending on how they're used, and sometimes they just have power just by simply existing. Mm-hmm. You know. True. Yeah. It's interesting. All right, so you went to law school. Did you know mm-hmm. what it was in law you wanted to study?
1: No, I didn't really want to study anything. Okay. <laughs> we got that part. I, um, I, I was <laughs> just, your dad's not going yeah. to do this. And we're like, what? What? Why do you think I'm in Nashville now <laughs> doing what I do all the time? Um, yeah, there was nothing in particular. I was... Um, just there to be there like just like you would go to high school it's like what what classes i going to take okay these are the required courses i just need my degree i need my law degree so i can get out and start working i always just wanted to get out and start working do you do you go for a,
0: excuse me a law degree or do you
1: get your bachelor's and then get your law degree How's bachelor's that first right so, four so it's years, a then long mm-hmm. Pui. yeah you gotta want that and you didn't even want it yeah well i did want it because i'm because i'm Daddy's girl. To be, I'm a daddy's girl. Yeah, and daddy's I was kind of trained up to want it. Yeah, and I'm proud that I have it. Yeah, but it's not. Um, it's not. It doesn't define me at all.
0: You do get the cool ESQ after your name.
1: I yeah, I, which I've never ever used. But that's pretty
0: darn cool.
1: <laughs> never used that. But um,
0: and if you go to England, you get to wear a powdered wig. So. Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> that's a perk. <laughs> that's, a, that's a perk. Yeah. So I mean, I I think law is um. The people that love it, they're just really into it. I've never been one that really loved it. I think I grew up being around lawyers, mm-hmm. and so I became mm-hmm. an analytical person, and so I naturally started debating things when I was little. And and, um, and so that, I think a lot of it became very naturally to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you and, ended up a
0: defense lawyer?
1: Yeah, well, at first, I, I didn't intend to ever go into criminal uh, law at all. Mm-hmm. But I was working for the government. And, and I'd love to
0: see you do that. Yeah, oh gosh. So cool. It's it
1: was, it was It's interesting. There is no more interesting area of law to practice than criminal law. But I was working for the government and I was given a, an appointment, a special assistant United States attorney for DC. So I was prosecution side at that point.
0: That and, seems like
1: uh, a huge job. Yeah, it was. And the challenge with the job is the caseload is so high and there were not enough lawyers which is why i was detailed there right um in that role and so that's when i started doing trial work from a prosecution side doing ride-alongs with officers um you know interviewing the police officers presenting charging documents things like that um so i did that for a year because i was only supposed to be there six months and i then they asked me to stay for another six months so i did uh and then a couple years after that i ended up opening a part-time law practice and that's when I did the back-and-forth music school thing, which nobody knows what I'm talking about, I realize, on this podcast. But I did that. I went to music school as a sort of sabbatical, and I opened a part-time law practice. And I then the judges started giving me cases to represent people from the defense side. So I was able to get those cases and get on this panel to receive them because they remembered me from, I think that's why, from the prosecution time.
0: Do you, in retrospect look at the prosecution side and see that they too would go to any lengths to get their person.
1: Oh, some of them, yes.
0: And and even in some ways nefarious, right? Oh, absolutely. They would break laws themselves or would they?
1: I would say, I never could, I can't say that I saw any of them breaking laws. Um, I would definitely question the ethics of some of them yeah, and not the majority. They don't have. They had so many cases. They didn't have time to think about being (laughs) ethical. Yeah, it's just that caseload. I as even just as a special assistant, I had a revolving 140 cases. My goodness. There were times where I would receive a case for trial, and I didn't even get to. I literally was walking down the hall, and I'd be given a folder and said the trial starting.
0: Well, then how is due process even a possibility with a load like that, where you're literally given? the information before you step out into the courtroom. I mean, how can mm. that be on any and on any side, prosecution mm-hmm. or defense? How does it allow for a fair trial, which is your inalienable right, right? You're supposed to get all those things.
1: Well, on the prosecution side, it's the government's burden to prove your guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. So, you know, if they... Are if they have too high of a caseload and they need to be able to get convictions and they can't because they can't spend the amount of time so a lot of working people go on free. those cases, then we have a problem there, right? Sure. On the defense side, I certainly I did spent five years doing the defense side, um, and I multiple occasions where I was receiving documents late, like late meaning the day of trial, an officer would walk up and hand me a CD and say. I forgot to give you this video. Now those are supposed to be turned over in advance of trial. It's arguable what that means, right? Can <laughs> so that create then, a
0: mistrial? Then, if it's um,
1: well, you just would you know tell the court what you know tell the judge what happened and ask for more time. Yeah, and then you know at least time to go review it. Sometimes it's benign; it's just some video. And other times, I had I received videos that were completely contradicting the officer's testimony. Or, well, I should say the officer's documents. Sure complete contradictions and so then I would ask the judge for a pass we need to you know have a rescheduled trial date mm-hmm. which is which is a problem if your client's being held right if your in client's held sure. in jail and their trial gets date gets pushed because of you know uh, the process not being followed by yeah. law enforcement that's a problem like
0: that poor kid that was stuck in jail for two three years yeah, he ended yeah. up committing suicide yeah, I'm not, it not familiar with that one. To look it up, one.
1: Then. But you know, there's a lot of stories innocent, that go untold. The <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of stories that, that go untold about uh so it's it's so that becomes the bigger problem because now a, a person's constitutional rights are violated. And and as a defense attorney there's only so much you can do because the judge has to make the finding. Um and you know, you're and you're in the moment. It's 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 crazy you know there's a lot of people in the courtroom there's other cases on the docket for the day they want you to you know make your points and get on with it and sometimes all you can do is say I don't know why I'm just now getting this but I did and I need time to go review it and so we have to reschedule things um or you go through with the trial and you have something that's like a you know to to um, cross-examine with and hopefully show those inconsistencies in the officer's testimony so
0: were most of your cases, um, how, what do you call it, when it's the city provides um, the defense, or were yours mostly they hire, people hired you to be the defense, or mm-hmm. was it both?
1: I've had both, but the great majority of my cases were court-appointed cases. Court-appointed, that yeah. was what I was mm-hmm. looking for, court-appointed. Yeah.
0: And those generally people who can't afford right. counsel, mm-hmm. but of course by the Constitution are supposed to get good counsel so at yeah. least they got you at least I know that they were being represented well
1: because well, I'm sure
0: you. that's not always the case
1: you know in DC the the defendants there are very fortunate because in DC uh, we have an amazing public defenders office and we have the private court appointed lawyers like I was a part of that panel of lawyers are they're superb yeah and so I, a matter of fact if I were a defendant in DC, I would de- be down there picking one of those folks before I would pick a high-paid lawyer somewhere else in the city to represent me.
0: Interesting. Yeah. What was um, some of the more usual crimes that you found you had to defend?
1: Um, a lot of drug cases, drug distribution cases, cases and possession cases. More than um, pot,
0: or generally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everything. P C P.
1: Crack cocaine. People still do P C P. Oh yeah, wow. yeah they do. They a lot of times they. Dip their like cigarettes in one. it and Oof. things like that. So, yeah, that's crystal a, meth. I that's mean, amazing. and um, a lot of those prostitution cases, a lot of assault cases, mm-hmm. some assault on police officer cases.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel threatened by anyone that you
1: represented? Uh, a little. I mean, very rare. I would say half a percent of clients. Most of the clients are very show a lot of gratitude. Um, Or if they have a mental health problem or drug issue, then that may cloud their behavior or something. But I've never, I mean, I never, maybe twice out of, uh, I mean, at least a couple hundred clients. Yeah,
0: Yeah. so that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. I mean, you would hope for it to be never, but that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. Um, Drugs play a huge part in the crime problem, I'm assuming. Yeah. Whether or not it was a drug offense, drug probably with robberies, things like that,
1: Well, mentally come, ill, I mean. Well, it comes up because it, even if it's an assault case and a person gets arrested, they may have some controlled substance on them. Yeah. And then it becomes a second charge in addition to the first, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I don't know what the statistics really would be. So this is just a ballpark number. But if I have, you know, 10 cases, it, I'd say half have either a mental health Component or Mm. a drug abuse component Mm -hmm. in them and 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 maybe even more than half So it certainly if you could remove the mental health issues uh, You could treat those I should say and if you could remove the drug abuse issues you would be um, You would have half the caseload. I mean
0: half the crime I mean right we've been shouting this from the rooftops for a very long time you Mm -hmm. help the mental health issue and the drug rate abuse will go down because mm-hmm. people self-medicate. Right. And then they get to a point where they can't afford whatever they're self-medicating with, and then they turn to the crime. Or mm-hmm. you know, they're not helping their mental stability, and they make choices that are not reflective of somebody who isn't mentally unwell.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, do you have any cases where you got the case that you can talk about where... You went. Oh my! There was. Didn't we talk about this once? There was some case that was really high profile, and hmm. I thought that was I don't you. don't know. Maybe it was somebody else. I thought it was you, and hmm. there was some sort of shady stuff going on with a DA or something. It might have been someone else. No, that too. sounds
1: sounds interesting. I'll go look through my notes. Yeah. yeah, I gotta listen to that podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, I gotta look through my notes.
0: because I, I only know a couple of lawyers, and so mm-hmm. I, and they the, the other person was also a woman, so. My guess is I'm confusing the two of you. All you lawyers look alike.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we we're, wear the same kind of clothes. That's funny.
0: <laughs> um, do, you, do you have any cases, though, where you you came to it and you thought, I know for a fact this person is innocent and I'm going to prove it, but it's still, you still have that Sisyphean task of showing everyone else?
1: No. I never had a situation where I would say, because I never know whether anybody's done anything do they not say i'm innocent or i'm guilty or they just no every well there's there are some clients who will say i you know i'm willing to enter a plea i you know i did what you know can you just help me get treatment or those kind of things Mm -hmm. um and most clients say that they're not guilty and there are some that are not um because you're able to find uh the other perpetrator or you're able to secure the video that shows that they're not guilty of what they're being charged with. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't always get the case dropped, you know, because for a variety of reasons. So sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't.
0: Having something prove that they're not the person doesn't get the case dropped?
1: Well, no. I mean, it, it, I mean, if you had really, really clear proof, what I'm, <laughs> I'm talking the other about... The guy's like, I did it. You know, if you have... A... <laughs> Right, I mean, there may be, there's mm. maybe more to the story. Maybe the video didn't show the whole the whole incident, sure. or, or, you know. Right. So you so the prosecution's not just going to say, well, sure, we take your word for it. I mean, if, especially if you have a victim who's saying something else. We
0: had a video of them <laughs> not doing it, but we taped Seinfeld over <laughs> it. Sorry.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, man. so I never had, so I never say that I know for sure about a client and it's not really my position to determine that the government has the burden of proof to to prove them guilty beyond a reasonable doubt there are certainly a lot of cases where i was not where my client of course would say th- that they're not guilty and i would based upon the government's evidence i tended to believe my client was not guilty but i but it, it's not your role as a lawyer to to tell the court to, well, you tell them that you want them to make that conclusion, but you do it based upon the evidence, not based upon your individual opinion as an attorney. Sure,
0: because that doesn't hold up in court, obviously. Mm-hmm. But if if the prosecution is putting together a file, and you as the defense, let's say, go through that file, you have all the stuff, because everybody has to show everyone what they have, right? It's It's sort of the card game where all the Aces are showing.
1: Is well, the that- d- discovery. Yeah, I mean, if there's if officer wrote notes or if there's videos or you know or um, radio run recordings from the police officers, they're supposed to turn all those things over to the right. defense. Yeah,
0: and that's what <clears throat> obstruction is
1: not doing that. Correct. Well, I mean, obstruction can yeah could be several different things. I mean, it, I if a prosec- there's certainly ethical and criminal violations if, if prosecutors don't turn over the information that they have. Sure. So if
0: if you as a defense attorney um, is getting information from the prosecution <clears throat> about your client and it's clear from the prosecution's side that they don't have enough, why do they waste the court? And why do the prosecutors not just go, you know what, sorry, we, we're not going to go through this one. Let him, let he or she out of jail because, mm-hmm. um, or let him and her out of jail, whatever the proper
1: yeah, well, all release. Well, they they do sometimes. I mean, sometimes they do. The, the prosecutors do drop cases, uh, but there's can be a lot of reasons why they might not. Mm. I mean, you don't know who else is in the pipeline. You know, if 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 there's if there's a case where it was a group incident, you know, they may want to hold one case because another case is coming in the pipeline that has to do with the same or similar situation. Or I I, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. Or like Pros- how they
0: got some of the um, the. Mafia guys on tax evasion, well, things okay. like that. They mm-hmm. couldn't prosecute them for the crimes of whatever their mafia mafioso things mm-hmm, were. But mm-hmm. yeah,
1: yeah. So there's there's a lot of that. They I I don't know about all prosecution prosecutorial offices, but um, but many of them have a lot of discretion. I mm-hmm. mean, I certainly in DC we had discretion. If if I felt that I had a file in front of me at the U.S. Attorney's office that that just didn't smell right, I could certainly take it to a a supervisor and say, I really don't feel good about this. What do you think? And they might just say, okay, toss it, mm. you know, it, or they, or that supervisor might call up the officers and say, now tell me again what happened here. So, um, not every, every arrest turns into a prosecution.
0: Did you have some of those cases that were overturned because some, something smelled fishy?
1: Well, in, in my view, it just something might not have lined up, you yeah. know, or, or, or I just wasn't convinced that, that something occurred or, or even maybe the I – mean, there, sometimes there's, um, you know, the prosecutors have to keep keep um, abreast of what is going on with the law enforcement officers too. And and there's obligations there to disclose, like, if an officer's under investigation or, mm. you know, the, the prosecutors are supposed to know that and they have to um, – there are standards by which they have to follow if, if certain findings have been made about an officer. They have to share them with the defense. Mm-hmm. So if you have a, an officer who has been found not to be truthful or something, that the defense is, is supposed to learn about that. And they might not bring a case because they may feel like that officer is not credible. Yeah. You know. Of course, that's going to be in a, those you know, rare situations.
0: How do you feel about the justice system on the whole? Do you think,
1: think um, it's
0: it's functioning well or?
1: <laughs> no, it's. I don't think it's functioning well. I think that um, that there's a it's a mixed bag. There are some people who try to make it function well, mm. and there's other people who have who prejudge and just assume that if somebody's there, they must be guilty. Um, and I don't and I don't think that's fair at all. And that's not the way the system is supposed to work. Um, i think, i think that most people are there to do a professional job mm-hmm. and unfortunately there are some that are that kind of they they turn the whole system up on on its end because they are not being fair or they are not uh, i don't want to say just totally lying and fabricating but there some of that goes on too yeah um and every defense attorney in this country knows it you As know.
0: do probably many of the prosecutors.
1: Well, prosecutors okay. too. I mean, yeah. you know, like in a, a prosecutor is not supposed to present an officer if he doesn't, if they, if that officer is, is compromised, is com- compromised yeah. or lying, or you know, you're yeah. not supposed to present any witness if that witness is not telling the truth. Right. So, whether they choose to or not, you never, you know, you don't know. But each in each prosecutor has its own cases, right? So right. he or she, um, you're relying on that person's ethical. Compass mm-hmm. to determine whether they put forth people that they should be putting forth as as um, credible witnesses.
0: I'm glad you brought up ethical compass because it reminds me also of a conversation we had that I want to talk about. Um, we were we were um, it was during the the Women's March day, the activism thing that we did, the panel we did. Um, as we were walking in, and you were telling me about how the reason why the Watergate lawyers. We said 60 of them or something. I mean, well, there were like
1: 60-some-odd 60, 60 people were prosecuted during Watergate. Many uh, of whom uh, were lawyers. I'd say, like, I mean, I heard maybe eight or nine or so were lawyers, which is a lot. It's a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. And and the reasoning for that is because they had a... An o, you, well, I'll let you explain it because mm-hmm. I don't want to get it wrong, but I thought that was so fascinating. So you talk about that?
1: Well, it's that lawyers have a very high ethical obligation. And, you know, if you are... You have attorney-client privilege, of course, and so, but you're not supposed to um, sponsor testimony to a judge that's total lies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just not supposed to. now, Wait, there's now a- how does
0: that work, though? If you're a defense attorney and your person is like, I had totally killed that guy, but you have to prove he didn't kill that guy, how are... How are you supposed to present that evidence, evidence ethically when you know, or maybe you know anyway and they never admitted to it, but you're like, oh yeah, he totally killed that guy?
1: Yeah, you know, doing it Well, um, I never did any murder cases, so I don't know when it comes to that. Um, but no, um, it's a tricky. It's tricky. I mean, there's I, I a lot of things. I think tricky. I mean, if you, when it comes to the defendant, the defendant has a right to testify in his or her own, own defense. Um, if the sister of the defendant said, I'm going to pretend that I, I'm, you know, the alibi mm-hmm. witness,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I wasn't really there, but I'm going to say it. Mm-hmm. Then I ethically cannot put that person on the stand. Because you to, know it. Because I know it's not. As the lawyer. As the lawyer, that person just told me they were not, they weren't really there and they want to lie to help this person. So there are certain
0: lines that you can't cross as a defense. Even if you think it'll help your client, if you know it's perjury, all bets are off. Right. Except for when it comes to the client themselves. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and I can't really say for sure when it comes to the client himself. That's my best guess. I don't really know. I haven't looked into that because that situation never came up with me.
0: So with the Watergate stuff, here were all these lawyers who knew what was going on and didn't stop it.
1: Right, and I, I think what happened is they um, they lost their, their way in terms of who were they being loyal to. Like, the counsel to the office of the president was the counsel to the office of the president. Not... Not to Nixon the, himself.
0: Right, not to right. the president. Right, right. and so... But I don't think that's a really good point, is the office, yeah, it's a different... The man, or woman, someday, mm-hmm. the man... Is the man
1: mm-hmm.
0: in the office? The office is the being, the entity, right? Which is the thing.
1: Yeah. And if and it, the challenge becomes if you are working for a client and that client tells you that they did something illegal, mm. you can advise them on. You can advise them, but if you start participating, now we have a problem. Mm. Now you're becoming an accomplice. Now you're going to be charged with something, you know, (laughs) because you cannot further their criminal activity. And so if you tell, if you tell the, if, if you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer and you're told, yeah, look, this is what I did. What should I do? And you say, well, I, you know, give me the gun. I'll take it and put it somewhere safe. Well, now you've, now you you've, you've, you've crossed you know, that line. You cross the line, and so uh, in particularly in political realms, but and in, in also just in general, good old everyday life. That lawyer, except for
0: banking, where nobody gets
1: to go to jail.
0: <laughs> but yes,
1: but <laughs> but these lawyers are they they start assisting, they start offering the wrong kind of aid,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then next thing you know, they're complicit in mm-hmm. whatever the scandal is, and that's what happened in Watergate.
0: Yeah, I I read a couple weeks ago one of. Uh, President Trump's lawyers, there was a big brouhaha because the lawyers were saying, "If you continue on this path, we're quitting." And it made me think of the conversation we had. And I thought, I wonder if whatever they didn't discuss what it was about in mm-hmm. detail, but it made me think like, I wonder if the lawyers were saying, "We're not, we're not jumping into the fiery pits of hell with you." Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Sorry.
1: like, well, if you, uh, if someone tells you, like, in that situation, you know, if you try to tell. Attorney General, you need to fire someone that's investigating me. If that were to have happened, if that conversation happened, and that Attorney General then takes that action and says, "Yes, I'll do it," even though I know I'm helping you obstruct justice, well, then now you're you're no longer serving as just, you know, Attorney General. Now you are, you know, you're an accomplice an in this accomplice. obstruction of justice. So that's why people, when people
0: go down, they go down; the whole ship goes down.
1: Right, and hopefully lawyers today have learned something from ethics in the past. A lot of the ethical rules that we have now came out of the Watergate era. Really? Yeah. They Um, weren't there in place already. A lot of them were. So they didn't, people didn't throw around the word obstruction all the time like they do now. That was not a word that was always used, you know, in everyday conversation during Watergate. And so um, a lot of the ethical requirements that lawyers now have to take certain exams and, you know, and refresher courses every year on ethics... Um, arose out of that time.
0: Interesting. And so in your ethics courses, do they talk about just specific, (laughs) where they say, this is bad, this is good, kind of thing, or is it more specific cases, I
1: assume? I mean, they do have those, you know, sort of black and white, this is wrong, this isn't, but so much of it is a gray area. And that's where it comes down to, you know, some good old plain common sense needs to kick in. In political circles, it becomes much more complicated. Because political circles are like a little bit like surrounding yourself. You're like a groupie and a rock star. And those high-level folks want to be part of the inner circle. Mm. And in order to stay there, they have to be part of the team. Now, the question is, are you going to be part of the team to the extent that you're willing to one day serve jail time? Or are you going to say, you know what, I'm going to recuse myself? or I um, am quitting (laughs) and and so sometimes you will see in the paper so and so now has new attorney Mm -hmm. you don't know why they have a new attorney what happened but there could have been any number of things that would cause an attorney to withdraw from a representation
0: yeah are there Mm -hmm. any cases in history that fascinate you more than others that you may have learned while you were studying or even that have Mm -hmm. come along since you graduated from your schooling
1: um fascinate me more than others no, well, I wouldn't say there's any in particular. I mean, you know, the civil rights era cases and, you know, those were really interesting to read about. Mm. Um, but, no, what, what fascinates me is that it's it's always this back and forth, back and forth, you know, two steps forward, one step back. And that that is, that's kind of um, frustrating, mm. you know, and let, instead of just letting some things be settled <laughs> we keep going back over the same things
0: we're still learners human beings
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know dogs learn much quicker <laughs>
1: yeah <True. laughs> maybe we need to
0: start using treats <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's next for you you so you do music let's segue into that mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you're a songwriter and a performer mm-hmm. um, I would put you in the Adult, contemporary, modern, jazz folk, pop. How about that? It's a, you know, it's a, I'm just going to make up a, words. I don't a, know. <laughs> it's
1: an odd mixture like my entire life. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I would continue to do that. I love the artistic outlet, um, being able to use that other side of my brain. Mm-hmm. I think in Washington, it was all law and politics all the time. I worked in the feds. I worked in local government. I worked at a private law firm.
0: But it was exciting, though. And And exhausting, Yeah, I sleep a lot.
1: There were some very, I mean, it was interesting, very interesting, and that's why I feel like I have a little insight on the political circles uh, type of analysis in addition to, like, my time as a criminal defense lawyer. And then, but that, with all that, I said, I don't want to keep this stressful existence up forever. Mm. And so after doing that for many years, I thought, okay, I gotta, there's more to me than just, you know, debating cases. Or you know, working on policy, whether it's federal or, or working in the D.C. government, or it just was to me. It became more of the same, mm-hmm. and it was all stressful, and it was all a lot of hours of work. So, you know, I didn't expect to come to Nashville and be and just end up here, and um, and now I do consulting for Fortune 500 companies, um, doing a lot of corporate negotiations, contracts of, um, all types, licensing, things like that. Um, but I do it part time so that I can not get sucked back into this, this crazy sort of stressful, you know, dealing with everybody else's problems, which is what politics and criminal law are <laughs> all Yeah.
0: the time. I bet it makes you a good, um, because your, your boyfriend has kids. It probably mm-hmm. makes you a good parental figure and that you've served as a lawyer that you can, deal with their problems a little bit more even
1: keeled? Well, I do. I think I I cross examine them a lot, (laughs) which is, (laughs) and when they say something to me that is not truthful, we won't call it a lie, you know, Spencer will say, dude, you know, she she was a defense attorney. She knows how to cross examine you. You're not gonna be able to lie to her and get away with it. And it's funny because you do after a while, whether it, I don't, it doesn't matter whether it's a, a defendant, any witness, police officer, you can tell when people are not telling you the truth. Mm. I mean, you just
0: you, oh, what is it? how do you, what do you think it is? I think people have tells for sure. Their yeah. face changes a little bit or although it's hard because they say um I've read stuff about this. They say if you look to the left or the right, it means you're lying or whatever. And I think gosh, when I'm thinking, I look all over the place. Mm-hmm. Depending on where I'm in my brain, I'm trying to find the information.
1: Mm-hmm. I I think it's you learn through human behavior, observation of human behavior. She's seen so many in the criminal justice system. I think that the it's not foolproof, which is why I don't think judges should come with preconceived notions about guilt or innocence. But because they even, do. I'm sure. I'm sure they do, and and oftentimes they have to be surprised when you have a dynamic defense attorney that shows them something they didn't realize, and and that's what you hope for as a defense attorney that you can show that judge something or the jury that totally flips everything they just thought because you're sitting there through the whole prosecution that goes first Mm. and you're like, they're painting the story, sending everybody down this road, but I'm sitting here in this chair and I know that that's not the whole story. And then you're hoping when you get up and do that cross-examination, um, that you can show everybody that, you know, things can look one way, but only if you shave off part of the evidence and Mm. the prosecution, prosecution didn't show you all of it. Mm -hmm. So here, we're going to show you the rest, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes you can see uh, you can see that change. You can see the ju- the change on the judge's face and their tone, and you can see it on the jurors', juror's faces. You can see that there's been a switch, and um, and I think when whether it's cross examining police officers, I mean, while you can you can tell which ones are more aggressive about trying to get a conviction versus the mm-hmm. ones who are like, you know, I'm a professional. This is what I do. It's not personal to your client. I come to court every day and there's always somebody else, you know? And so and, um, so I think observing people, their demeanor, their tone, um, and then finding situations where you've seen people lying before, hmm. and it just starts to take on a certain look. And I, I don't want to make it sound like I've got this secret, you know, because I don't. But I just think that once you observe for a long period of time, you get better at it.
0: Did you ever want to be a judge? Did that ever cross your mind?
1: No, because I don't like to sit still. Ah. I wouldn't be able to sit.
0: Yeah. So in that. jury trials, a judge is more like a referee, and mm-hmm. then and then in the other kind of trials, they're the decision makers. Right. Bench yeah.
1: trial. Yeah. They're the decision makers. And the jury trials, but it, they're still a very important referee because they're going to determine oh, sure. what evidence comes in and what the jury gets to see and what they don't.
0: Oh, they make that Final yeah. call. Yeah. It's not just a giant pool of everything. They have no. they get to decide.
1: They get to decide. Oh, right. right. And if they decide wrong, then that they gives you grounds for appeal.
0: I wonder okay. when you just said a minute ago you said in the justice system, I wonder how many people instantly heard the dun dun from law and order in their head <laughs> right here after you said that.
1: Ah. Every time I heard that sentence it immediately dun 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 Yeah. <laughs> But no, I couldn't be a judge. That's, that's why, like, I'm here. I just can't do that same thing all day. Did your there. dad
0: understand when you said, Saya,
1: Oh, he he didn't care. He was he like, didn't. oh, you're going to do music? Great. Oh, okay. Because as far as he's concerned, I got the law degree. Yeah. Have you have you been on a jury before? Have I served on a jury? I think maybe once. I, yeah, I did serve on a jury once. But most of the time, I get, you know, I get to leave.
0: Because of your background, I right. assume they don't. Uh, it's not really a jury of your peers, and you have this extraordinarily educated person who knows the law inside and mm-hmm. out. Yeah, <laughs> Suddenly, yeah. you're not a peer anymore. You're not you? a peer
1: anymore, and you could, but now that I've done both sides, prosecution and defense, they might say, well, you're more balanced. I might, yeah. Oh, In DC, there's so many lawyers that it's hard to just get booted because you're a lawyer. I need to go
0: to DC again. I haven't been to this little.
1: My favorite city. In the world
0: we should go yeah you'd be a good person you can to go go. We, can we can come to the here.
1: court and see some my friends are still down there practicing in trial
0: i have an ex <laughs> that lives in dc he just moved there and but we're still good friends or whatever too so that would be two people it would be yeah. fun
1: it's a great city I'm, i do miss it i'm not going back but i, I, I want mean, to go to May the Dayton palm Loop. in washington dc
0: because um. i remember in the west wing and that always looked like a cool place to hang out <laughs> I mean, if you're a high-end prostitute, which, you
1: know, I'll play a character for a night, <laughs>
0: whatever, just to get
1: the experience. I think they normally... <laughs> the Palm is one of those, you know, um, suit and tie hangouts. I don't know, I know really the prostitutes cool are there.
0: For really, really good ones. Mm-hmm. Like escorts. Oh, okay. So yeah. I'm mean high At least on the show.
1: Yeah, you know. well.
0: <laughs> True. How low do people watch? You know me. Um... <laughs> uh let's talk okay we kind of jump past your music for a hot second how can people find your music to listen to it
1: it's at um on spotify shay little john s-h-a-i little john i guess it'll all be typed out on your podcast it, will. it will um and on there and then i have are you on iTunes i'm on itunes yeah and okay I'm, and i'm on then i have my own website shaylittlejohn.com okay so yeah but you won't see anything about law on there
0: no no but music <laughs> i'm talking music. about the
1: music stuff yeah music stuff yeah i'm on linkedin if you want to see my law stuff
0: she's a very well-rounded individual <laughs> for sure
1: i'm an explorer
0: so am I. Adventurer. So am I. It's a, <laughs> it's a good thing. That's why we're kindred. Yeah. I think you know you recognize the same in someone. Generally speaking. So, I think so.
1: I think it's great to be like open-minded and just you know see where the wind takes you.
0: Yeah. It Can get pretty blustery out there. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. So w- there was a point you made a second ago. We we shut down the thing, and then I was like, oh, wait. you just said something really cool. It's important to note that, of course, there are good and bad. Of everything, good cop, bad cop, good judge, bad judge, good lawyer, bad lawyer, good corporate America person, bad corporate, whatever, it's mm-hmm. across the board. There are good and bad people in everything. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the first time I, I was I was in trial where I saw an officer say something that wasn't true.
0: In order to convict someone. In
1: order to convict somebody, I was really kind of shocked because, you know, it's, I knew it happened, and it does not happen most of the time, but it does happen. And so it's it's hard to have conversations with people, who don't who've never had that experience because they it, people that are so you know pro every police officer on the face of this planet. I, I mean, I appreciate police officers. I mean, they have an incredibly hard job to do, but just like any other job, there's some of them that don't need to be there. Yeah, sure. And they need to be held they need to be held accountable yeah. for when they break the rules. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and it makes all officers safer. And it it uplifts their entire profession, which uplifts everybody. Um, but the first time that that happened, do you I remember was, the case? No, okay. I don't remember the case. All right, I mean, it's happened multiple times. Okay, but not the majority of times. Um, but I would say maybe if, say if I said you know a couple hundred cases, there might have been five where I knew blatantly that. This officer should not was was fabricating a story. Did they get you know, a
0: bonus or something? Why? What does it serve them to lie when they know they're not?
1: Well, some people are by nature competitive, um, and um, they will. I, I can't even begin. So they just to... want to win
0: the case just for the sake of winning it, regardless if somebody innocent is
1: getting right. I mean, God, you know, you, you attract. You know, the profession attracts a wide variety of people. you know, to it. And, and some of those people, um, are there because they believe in protecting and serving the community and other ones somehow get it twisted and become, they start policing the community members Mm. and even to the point of harassment or profiling or things like that. And so, um, and so once they've already, you know, put the documents together and and decided from whatever encounter on the street that they wanted to they wanted this person to be prosecuted, you know, they don't show up on the day of trial and all of a sudden say, oh yeah, none of that, never never mind, we don't, Yeah, you know, I know what I wrote in my police to report, but let's move on, we can just get rid of this case. They're not gonna say that. And then sometimes I think it becomes a, a combative situation with just wanting to be um, argumentative with defense counsel. Hmm. You know, some people are overcharged. They're, they're charged with something that is much more serious than they should have been for what happened, you mm-hmm. know?
0: Does that, I mean, let's throw that race card out there. Mm-hmm. African Americans get uh, bigger sentences yeah. than white people uh, for the same crime. Yeah. That's a real thing. I mean, that's a documented real
1: thing. It is a real thing. And, and, and black people will also be um, will be arrested for something that is overlooked when a white person does it in some cases. I mean, I literally, I have, I did even simple things like possession open container of alcohol. I've I've had cases that are, you know, I forget what that is, maybe punishable by up to 90 days in jail or is it 30 days? I forget, but um, I've had those cases. And I'm thinking, but I've also been physically seen officers tell young white men to pour their drinks out. Yeah, they I've been at walking. those parties at high school. Yeah, yeah. like a party. You, you have a party outside of... Um, we could one black kid at our school, though. Yeah, like, if you have a party outside of, you know, say, Georgetown, and kids have open container alcohol, and, you know, officers will be like, hey, guys, pour that out. You're not supposed to have that drink. You know, if you're a young black man coming out of a nightclub with that same plastic cup, all of a sudden you get arrested for, you know. Stuff like that. Yeah, just yeah. little things like that. Yeah. Well, big things like that. But it which, And then a person has a criminal record over, you know, something... Yeah silly like that. And so it, it's not a fair it's not fair. And um and fortunate, unfortunately, I don't know how we're ever going to resolve that.
0: I don't either. I wish I did. Mm. Yeah. But then we wouldn't be sitting in my kitchen, I suppose. We'd be somewhere making that happen.
1: We'd making it happen and I think the problem is Talking is, about it, it is discretion. Everybody back to that, everybody has a different experience, they have a different lens through which they view things sure. and then they and then they have that discretion on the street. I get
0: very confused by people that get mad when you try and stick up for the underdog or somebody that is being disenfranchised. I don't care if it's a black person, a white person, a poor person, a rich person, a, you know, whatever, a female, a male, somebody that is being treated unfairly and you say, hey, this is not right. And then suddenly people attack you like you're this horrible person. Just for giving a voice to somebody that might be voiceless Mm-hmm. and i find that fascinating what is it in humans that where their empathy is their anger oversteps their empathy it's just it's so insane to me
1: yeah well some of them i think honestly enjoy seeing someone else in pain go through it
0: yeah, yeah maybe i mean that's that's a good point i think we do have a tendency to as we we like to to push up our kings, and we love to see them fall down the hill. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, things like reality TV wouldn't exist or all those celebrity magazines that do so well. Yeah. You know?
1: I mean, it blows my mind how you can have, like, the cases we had in the, in the news over the last couple years and that whole Black Lives Matter movement. It blows my mind. Even if you remove Black Lives Matter and that slogan and all of that, and you just look at the fact that there were some people on video who were murdered by police officers... The fact that anybody is okay attempts to justify it. Attempts to say anything about it. Attempts to try to exaggerate and be be actually dishonest intellectually and say now all of a sudden it's an attack on all officers, which it's not. Right. Nobody dislikes all officers. You know. Nobody
0: is complaining against the national anthem either. It's like completely missing the point. That redirection. That smoke and mirrors helps keep the division alive and well and the anger mm-hmm. at a fever pitch mm-hmm. but i yeah. agree with you They, if if someone is being hurt that why is that not what matters
1: yeah i mean i i don't even read like a lot of social media posts anymore especially at the end of an article then you read all these anonymous oh gosh you, yeah. you know people yeah. write all these ridiculous things and i'm thinking okay maybe some people just aren't able to be analytical maybe people don't you know, but I think what it is is some people don't want to be. They don't well, want I- to be honest and they don't want to accept or admit or because then they will have to fix. And I don't think some people want to fix the system.
0: Well, I think that's part of it, but also I think a lot of people are in valid pain, emotional pain or even physical pain, you know, and that place of being clouds their judgment. And like you said, if I'm in a if I'm in a if I'm in pain, then my understanding of the world is through a lens of pain. Mm-hmm. And so then maybe I feel better, as you said, when someone else is hurting. It's mm-hmm. so it's twisted. Yeah. But in its own way, I'm not alone. If someone's worse off than me, you know?
1: Yeah, I think people some people do not want they don't want to be the worst off. And they like the fact that there are African American people who are not treated fairly. They may not vocalize that they like it. They may not even know. They may not even honestly, realize on a conscious like level. It. Yeah. But you know, but I I don't see how else you would be able to rationalize the comments that people make. And I'm and I know some of the some of the situations were were borderline. They weren't all just you know young black boy murdered. I mean those were there were a few clear cases like that and older men. And then there were others that were more like the gray line. Is like, is this really the battle cry case people should be shouting about? <laughs> but, right. um, but the ones where they're clear cut, uh, you know, interesting that people can't even get on the bandwagon and say, yeah, we all agree collectively that that is a problem.
0: Like a six-year-old playing with a toy gun in a park, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Same. Yeah, it becomes
1: that those parents should have known better. Well... Kids play with little all the time. I played with guns all the when time, I was little. Right?
0: I, we had plastic guns. We used to play war in mm-hmm. the backyard and down the street with my brother and mm-hmm. and all
1: that. So. It's a devaluing of... A particular
0: type of human. Right. <laughs> Which there is no other type of human. There's just human. But mm-hmm. I think in a person's mind that can compartmentalize like that, there is a
1: difference. <sighs> yeah. Can't
0: we just save the world?
1: Probably not. <laughs> this, is, this is coming from the person who started off the, the interview saying that I'm positive, optimistic. I... <laughs> no,
0: I'd like to think that generations from now, it'll get better. And maybe, maybe it won't. I don't know. But we'll be dead. So it's okay. What do we care?
1: <laughs> I think there will always be some, some humans who want people to be under them.
0: Well, I was just reading a really interesting article, and I don't want to keep you for too long. I was just reading this really interesting article about uh, machines getting to the point um, of where they realize that we are less powerful, less smart, for sure. Um, And then they decide to to choose dominion over us. Right now, we have dominion Mm. over machines, but it's a fine line. And then what happens? Yeah. Then what happens? We have dominion over animals, right why mm-hmm. because we think we're smarter well dolphins are pretty smart whales are super smart um, they uh, every creature on the planet has its own language even plants have their own thing that they do mm-hmm. so it's it's really fascinating to think about what could happen with machines Shay thank you <laughs>
1: thank you, thank it's you been for fun being on hey to human. you. Yeah,
0: it's been great <laughs> i knew it would be i learned a lot too so i appreciate that here's to really the beginning of a beautiful long friendship so yeah so- All right, bye everybody.